I'm Greg Johnson. Welcome to Countercurrents Radio. My guest today is Nathan D'Amigo of Identity Europa. Nathan, welcome to the show. How's it going, Greg? I'm glad you were able to bring me on. How was your trip? It was great. I'm back in the USSA now, but I was more than a month in Central Europe, in Hungary, Poland, and the eastern part of Germany, Berlin. And it was a great experience. I met a lot of people, activists, journalists, writers, publishers, and so forth. And I just really enjoyed being in a much healthier environment, a much healthier society while I was there. So, but it's good to be back because we've got our work cut out for us. And I want to talk to you about your organization, which is called Identity Europa. Well, first, let's talk a bit about you. Can you tell us a bit about yourself, how old you are, where you were born, your education, things like that? Well, uh, I am 29 years old right now, and uh, I'm waiting to hit 30 here in a couple months. I hear it's the new 20, so I'm really excited about that. Because uh, <laughs> 20s were were pretty fun, being that uh, I did spend uh, four years in the Marine Corps and did two tours in Iraq, and so for the most part, as a uh, in, when I was in my late teens, early 20s, uh, I was spending a lot of time just uh, not really doing what most of the younger guys at that age are doing. So uh, just being in a more normal environment than I was uh, back then should be uh, something exciting, but Anyways, I was basically, I was born in Lewiston, Maine, which is pretty infamous among our circles for the uh, Somali dump that happened there probably about 10, 20 years ago. In fact, I wasn't even aware of it till uh, probably about five or six years ago when I had my own awakening and I, I kind of stumbled across that a couple times. And then I started asking people because I still have family out there about it and um I guess it, you know, they confirmed it was real and, and that there has been a lot of issues there ever since. So that was actually something very interesting. But I, I didn't live there very long. I, uh, perhaps when I was about six months old, uh, moved out here to California where I have for the most part been ever since. Uh, and I was raised in Silicon Valley, went to a small private Christian school where uh, I received a, a very good education. And even though I wasn't at that point in my life very interested in education or, or learning, I was very high strung. I, all I could think about every day when I was in junior high and high school was, was just skateboarding. And so <laughs> I pretty much wouldn't, wouldn't really, uh, hear much of what was going on and didn't, didn't care much for school and, and was just, uh, I was just like in this in this unfortunate mindset where I, I thought, uh, you know, I'm just going to go do a trade or something like that. Uh, I don't I don't need to, to listen to what's being taught here because none of it matters in the real world and, and whatnot. So it's actually kind of funny because um, my education actually started uh, much later, probably around the time I was I was uh, 23. And much of that was from just having a lot of time on my hands to be able to begin researching into a lot of things. I started having a lot of questions after serving some time in Iraq and just began to become more curious about uh, the world around me and the way the world works, uh, whether that was politics or nature uh, or even human nature. And so I kind of, uh, 
you know, in my early 20s began doing a lot of research and I, I, had, I had having a, a Christian background, I, I think I was raised believing that uh, the earth was perhaps only 6,000 years old, very fundamentalist Baptist uh, view of the world. And I began to learn things about uh, evolution that I found were that, that the things that I was told growing up weren't quite uh, correct that they, much about evolution, what, what I thought was correct was actually, were actually, uh, straw man, straw man, uh, type arguments about evolution. But once I started studying it for myself, I realized that, uh, that, you know, there was some stuff that was left out, which once you add that in there, you can, it, it all kind of comes together. So I think it was after that that I really began to have a hunger for uh, what else might be out there that I wasn't aware of or that I was being perhaps uh, misled or, and not even intentionally by people who truly believed what they were teaching me. And so I, I think it was about that point that uh, I really began having my own awakening. And um, ever since then, I, I've really just kind of over the last two years, I've been really looking for a way to get more involved and uh, help help to promote some of our ideas and just wake people up to what's going on. So was your time in Iraq a period when you learned a lot about racial realities and cultural differences or were you just, you know, too busy? I, I would have to say that it, it, it was one of many things that kind of contributed to my outlook uh, about multiracialism, multiculturalism, multi-religious, basically heterogeneous societies, because for the first time I was kind of outside of uh, our own system. I was able to look at somebody else's system and critique it without any type of uh, subjectivity uh, going on. And um, so I think it, it did contribute a lot to it. Uh, there, there was a lot of animosity between the different ethnic groups there. I remember that uh, there were very few uh, Christian soldiers there. I, we used to work quite a bit with the Iraqi army and and training the Iraqi army, the Iraqi police. And so out of their entire unit, they may have like six or seven guys who are Christian. And I remember the Christian guys were constantly having problems where uh, many of the uh, the majority Muslim uh, unit would essentially not pay them and would mess with their pay and other things. And uh, and then even between the Muslims, there was the Sunni and the Shia, and then you broke it down into uh, various other tribal affiliations, and it was just, uh, it just seemed like a mess. And, and it began, uh, it, the idea of democracy in that nation just began to uh, seem like something that, that might not even be a, a, a reality uh, at least with the lines uh, drawn where they were for uh, the territory of Iraq. So that that kind of was uh, that that was one thing along the way. I think there were a number of other things uh, growing up in Silicon Valley in San Jose. Everybody was kind of a minority. Um, there was no real true majority. Uh, I think the the city's demographics were probably about 25 30% white maybe same with with uh hispanics latinos um uh, same with asians there were a lot of uh, pacific islanders 
and Asiatic Indians. I mean, just it was just a. I, if you want to talk melting pot, it really was. But at the same time, there it it wasn't completely melting, uh, like you know Americans like to think. There were all these different neighborhoods, and I noticed that many of my friends who were non-white were perhaps Filipino or something like that. They had their own cultures, and and they had a very tight knit. Uh, kind of group thing going on and it was something that I, I would I would go and I would hang out and and it was always something that's just something was kind of off it wasn't really fitting and I think another another part of, of connecting the dots for me was when I joined the Marine Corps and uh, there were a lot of white guys from the Midwest and, and other parts of the country. And it was really the first time I had spent around uh, a lot of my own people. And I, for some reason, it was just really comfortable. Uh, I, I related to them on a number of issues culturally and even uh, even to a large extent politically, whereas many of my friends I had grown up with who were uh, Pacific Islander, Latino, or or something else. It seemed like on every single issue, politically, we always disagreed. And no matter how hard I tried to convince them uh, of of the logic of of the views I was espousing, uh, they they just didn't seem to. It didn't seem to to sink in, and I couldn't understand why. So, and at that point in my life, like I said, I was raised very uh, fundamentalist, Baptist, and I had very very conservative views uh, <clears throat> as far as uh, a lot of things go, as, as far as um, a lot of social issues go at that point in my life. And, and at the same time, uh, I, you know, did have kind of those those hawkish neocon views as well. And, uh, you know, <laughs> we've got to be friends of Israel because they're our only friend in the Middle East and and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it's been a very, very long transformation uh, from from where I was then to where I am now. But uh, I think there were a lot of different things that kind of one on top of, of the other just began adding up. And even back then, um, I was I was more of, of what you would say like a civic nationalist, basically almost someone who uh, you're, you're, you're Trump supporter, you're, you're, non, uh, you're non-racialized Trump supporter who is a civic nationalist and, and is still – doesn't see race, but understands that there is the uh, threat to America as far as having massive immigration and people from very different cultures. That was something I was always very aware of and uh, was something that my mind was always on because I was raised to be very patriotic. And I kept thinking to myself, that uh, you know we're we're bringing in all these people, uh, especially people from Mexico, and there seemed to be no political will to stop it. And there very much did seem. I, I was aware that there was a difference in cultures at that point in time, and uh, and that trying to make different populations come out equally, even if just looking at the cultural reasons, it wasn't going to happen. So uh, I never went all the way into the uh, you know liberal or, or uh, cultural Marxist perspective on a lot of the social and immigration issues. Um, but there was a lot of things I was still missing. So what are some of the books and websites that you read that contributed to your awakening? Oh, wow. Um, 
it was it was very strange because unlike most people in this day and age who get a lot of their information from the internet, uh, I was actually in a position where I didn't have access to the internet, and someone had mentioned uh, someone had mentioned to me my awakening by uh, David Duke, and I I said okay, I'll give it a shot, and it was right after that point in my life where I had realized that some of the things I had been taught about uh, the history of the world and and how the world came into being wasn't quite correct and began uh, seriously considering uh, evolution as an alternative to creationism. Uh, it was that point when I was like, you know what, I just want to read anything and everything. And I saw, I was like, wow, this, you know, this should be pretty interesting. And so I, I think that was almost one of the one of the first ones that I read as far as uh putting putting a, a pro-white perspective out there and it was it was so shocking yet so um uh, the book is is very well written and uh and it just made sense so much of what he was saying i think you know the first section of the book he goes into human biological and, and genetic diversity and he was discussing uh, the differences there, and and as I was reading it, I was like, oh, this this makes sense. But there was still like a a, a lot of me that, um, you know, because I had that history with being taught things that were uh, mis misrepresenting uh, the arguments. I wanted to make sure for myself. So he actually cites about a, a thousand sources in that, that book, and I I have to this day gone through a number of them. I think the the very first place I started was the uh human biological and genetic diversity part because that was the part that really fascinated me the most and i i began looking into uh all the people from both sides of it uh, whether it was j philip rushton or um john john baker uh on the on the race realist side or whether it was Stephen Jay Gould or Rose or Kameen and Lewontin on the cultural Marxist side. And after going through pretty much most all the literature on it, it was very clear to me that there are these differences between people that uh, are very powerful and there are these distributions even within those populations that will affect individual outcome as well as group outcome. And so that was one of, I think, one of the very first ones that uh, that led me towards having a uh, just kind of a, a racial awareness and looking at things, uh, not just no longer sticking my head in the sand and saying I, I just see individuals, but now I can see both. I can see individuals and I can see uh, populations and groups and group dynamics and how they interact. And so I, I think... I think that was was one of the things that that really stuck with me, and and after that I, I stumbled across some of Jared Taylor's books, and I, I read a few of those, and uh, just kind of went from there. And it, once I had that down, um, I, I think that was pretty simple, and, and and that really changed everything. And then after that, I, I I kind of tried to branch out as much as possible to other issues that were beyond simply uh pro pro white issues or or race and stuff like that i i began staying in the economics and sociology and uh, just a bunch of other stuff and right now i'm actually going to school uh and working on a degree uh, a, a bachelor's in social science i i just have a fascination for the way the world works and how 
just everything comes together to uh, to the end product of of what we see today. So when did you start gravitating towards actual activism as opposed to just exploring ideas? I would have to say it was probably about two years ago. Um, I, I started getting really involved with some of the stuff on the Internet. I, I realized, wow, this is an excellent tool that we can begin to get our message out there. We can do it anonymously and people are going to be more comfortable listening to what we have to say. I'd also had a lot of experience trying to convince people prior to that of, of my views and explaining to them things and begin realizing that there is, uh, there's certain ways in which you have to go about doing it that will open up, uh, a, a greater, uh, probability for someone actually listening to what you have to say. So uh, I, after having, you know, spent a couple years telling people I knew about, uh, you know, what I had discovered and, and being very much rejected and, and being kind of hurt that, uh, you know, I was just trying to, uh, show these people w- w- truth, you know, objective truth that I had discovered. Um, I, I realized that there, there were, uh, some things that people just didn't want to hear and also that there was a way in which to uh, kind of like a formula in which uh, to discuss these things to really uh, basically get around uh, many of those knee-jerk conditioned responses. And so I started off kind of uh, with the Internet and and with uh, I think about that time I kind of stumbled across some of Bob Whitaker's work and uh, I, I really, w- what stuck with me most about that and, and what I learned most from it was, was talking points. I love, uh, I love talking points and, and being able to know, basically having a, a answer already ready for when people, uh, ask you a question or, or people bring up a certain topic. It's, it's good to, uh, have that response ready. And, and I think that's one of the best things. I spent some time really, uh, posting a, a lot of that stuff online and, and going on to White Rabbit Radio, uh, some of Horace's work. He's a phenomenal podcaster. And, um, I think a lot of that, uh, from there, I, I started meeting people online. I think Twitter, I got on there when there was perhaps only maybe 20 pro-white accounts on there uh, a couple years ago and just watched it blossom over the last couple years. But it was back then that I started meeting people. Uh, I think I met Angelo John Gage about that time. I, I made a comment on his YouTube video and he responded to me and we just we really hit it off because we'd both been in the Marine Corps and uh, it was about that time that some of the stuff was I was seeing what Generation Identitaire was done and National Action and a couple other groups were doing out there in Europe. And that got me really excited, and motivated because I, I could see these models and say, hey, we can do this here uh, in America and we can we can utilize, you know, that's that seems to be working over there. So why not, you know, build a model that's that somewhat resembles that here? And so I talked to a number of people and, uh, I, I stumbled across one gentleman who was kind of, uh, working with a number of different people trying to get it started. I was one of the first people who stumbled across him. He had a Twitter account and he was trying to start like a youth organization. And, 
so I, I started working with him and he ended up, there ended up being some issues there. So he left and, uh, I asked Angelo to come in and work with us and he, he's, he was already public. And so he decided to come in and, and do that. And so we actually had a lot of success, uh, with what we were doing. Uh, it wasn't really as, um, it wasn't really as, uh, we didn't really have a brand, a, a really good core brand going, but what we're, able to do was we were able to force uh, a lot of local media to to cover some of what we're doing and a lot of what we're doing was going after specifically uh teachers professors who were uh teaching these these cultural marxist anti-white theories of of white privilege theory and critical race theory uh and and who were making public publicly making anti-white statements on social media we're kind of going after them and and putting out flyers that uh just had uh maybe their picture on it or something like that so people would know who who it was we were referencing and and just the word anti-white on it and just explaining what that person had said or what they were doing and uh if if you you can still go to uh many of these articles they're still out there on the web and if you if you look at the responses to them it's it's overwhelmingly positive i think like between uh 70 as high as perhaps 80 85% in some of the articles are favorable to us or neutral or simply neutral so um it was it was something that i, I really feel we gained a lot of experience from we began learning how to organize and uh and there had been uh there really hadn't been uh ever since i think uh national alliance was the last major activist organization uh that that really had a, a strong foothold in the country uh but there there really hasn't been uh, a a good solid infrastructure in place for a very long time and uh unlike i think many of the countries in europe kind of have had this infrastructure so maybe they've changed different organizations but some of those organizations have emerged from from previous ones so we 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 began learning a lot about networking and and uh started getting programs together of of how we can plug people in and how we can encourage them to stay in touch with us till other people join up from their area or even we get in contact with someone locally. And I, I think even that work, even though we ended up having to uh, change the name and just kind of start fresh, I think even that, uh, what we did there was very beneficial, not only as a learning ground, but also uh, just the the networks that started growing from that. I think have been very beneficial. So why did you have to change the name from National Youth Front? Well, when, when we started, um, as I said, I, I'd stumbled across another gentleman who had kind of already started it and I've never done any type of organizing. I've never ran an organization before. So I'm kind of just learning. I had been learning as, as I went and, and I hadn't realized that the name itself was, uh, problematic in the sense that, uh, it, there there was another organization out there that had a very similar name they were incorporated and had been around for about 50 or 60 years and uh we had received a, a kind of a a notification from their attorney just asking us hey uh we feel that this kind of violates our copyright so 
So we we looked at it, we talked about it, we discussed it with a couple lawyers, and uh, and we decided that the best thing to do would just be to to let it drop. And it was a we felt it was actually a really good chance to rebrand and restructure a little bit and get things going the right the next time around. So we we still had uh it wasn't really. It wasn't a horribly big loss. In fact, I think it's it's been a benefit in many ways that that we have been able to restructure and uh, create something new out of it and use our experience with with that organization to uh, to move into this one. And we still had uh, the infrastructure all there, so uh, the transition wasn't too bad. It took a little bit longer than we had we had uh, hoped it would take, but uh, we're we're getting the ball moving now and and things are going so. So tell us a bit about Angelo Gage. He's a prominent figure, uh, or was until recently, a fairly prominent guy on uh, YouTube. Had lots of videos out there. He was involved in the National Youth Front. He seems to have taken a step back, not just from your group, but also just from the movement. Uh, He's taken down his videos and stuff like that. So can you give us some insight? I know a lot of people are wondering what's happened to Angelo. Yeah, and I've had a, a number of people over the last week. A, a lot of people are very concerned. Uh, I think a lot of people are misunderstanding what Angelo is, is doing and, and and what he's saying. And uh, I, I think kind of what's going on is is that you you have nowadays, as opposed to say ten, twenty, thirty years ago, um, because of the internet. Uh, you know, as soon as people wake up to some of this stuff. Uh, some of them will go out there like Angelo did with his YouTube channel and begin discussing it and talking about it uh, several years ago. And since then, he's, you know, a, a person can change quite a bit and their perspectives on things can change quite a bit just over a couple years. And Angelo has really had time to grow, to develop and mature on many of his views as as far as things go. And I, I think that's kind of what's happened is that uh, basically I, I think he, he wants to try something new. And, and, and he has told me this. He said, you know, I'm just I, I just want a, a fresh start. I want to try again with a positive message and 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 trying to, to motivate people to do things instead of going around and blaming other people for the problems that people of European heritage are facing. And so that has much more uh, to do with it than anything. He's still going to be out there. He's still going to be uh, promoting a, a pro-white message, and he's still on our team. So uh, I, I think that some of the things he said, uh, there was there was a lot of a knee-jerk reaction to it and uh, in his critique of uh, where the movement uh, has been and, and where he believes it should go. And I think that uh, I think that a lot of people should be, uh, you know, within this movement, we have a lot of different views as, as far as what direction we should be heading. But we're all still heading in the same general direction. And I think we should really remember that is that even if we have differences in views of uh, what the best strategy is to take or uh, the, the final end product of, of what we're what our aims are. Uh, I, I think we we should remember that we're all really on the same team and, and we should it's it's one thing to critique. I understand that. And we should critique um, because we can't just continually act like 
uh, everything's okay and that uh, it, it doesn't matter what strategy we take. We have to analyze what's working, what's not working. And at the end of the day, some people might disagree. Um, but I, I think that uh, we should really uh, – there. I, I think uh, we really shouldn't be attacking people simply because – they have a different view of the movement than we do. We're all still basically heading in the same direction. And I think really at this point to get perhaps too deep into some of these issues uh, is, is almost just LARPing. I mean, some of this stuff is is very I, – I mean, it could happen a lot faster. You never know. But um, I think some of this stuff is, is very far in the future and I, if it is to happen at all. And so to, to get – really worked up at someone like Angelo, who's been doing great things and, and really is passionate about this. Uh, I, I don't think that's a good thing. So uh, he he's kind of just changing what he's doing, but he's still going to be there. He's still going to be uh, trying to wake people up and, and trying to work with people to get things moving. Uh, but he's just kind of shifting gears, so to speak. The last few videos that he did, I thought were really outstanding. Uh, interesting out of, out of the box thinking and very yeah. very articulate and forceful and the the takedown he did on the renegade people was also just downright hilarious <laughs> that was that was really entertaining he he loves to get in there and argue and uh and that's just one of his many talents i i think i would get worn out uh with with that he's very high energy and uh and i love it and uh i think much of that is his culture. Uh, he is Italian, and he, and he loves to get in there and have a debate and have a discussion. But I think at the end of the day, people need to realize that uh, he's doing this because he's passionate about it. And uh, even if you disagree with him, you know, don't dogpile on on people who are really passionate and just trying to think outside of the box and whatnot. Right. Well, there's a distinction between having disagreements and having enmity being enemies with people yes. and i'm afraid a lot of people don't understand that uh, in our cause so nathan tell us about identity europa what's the purpose of the group and what kind of activism do you envision we are, are really looking at at promoting the idea of perhaps uh, just a just a white identity we we want people to feel uh, comfortable identifying with a group. I, I think that's something that's common to every other uh, group of people, every other demographic, basically, uh, with the exception of perhaps uh, men, heterosexuals, and uh, white people, people of European heritage. I, I find those white and, and people of European heritage, I find that synonymous uh, with each other. And we, what we want to do is, is we want to make this mainstream. And how we intend to do this, I, I think a, a lot of it's kind of uh, twofold. One is is by getting our name out there and and gaining name recognition. And a lot of that is going to be through the promotion of our organization with posters and flyers. Uh, placed in strategic areas across the country, uh, a lot of stuff at at colleges and universities, as well as uh, downtown areas where there's lots of foot traffic. We want to get our name out there. We want to bring attention to our organization and attention to the concept of 
perhaps becoming racialized. And you have many people uh, on the what, what's typically considered the left. I, you know, I, I kind of say uh, cultural Marxist, but you have many, many people, people of color that are actually now asking for people of European heritage, whites to to become racialized and see race. And so that's that really is uh, for us. That's an, an invitation in a way to come out and uh, for those, especially for those of us who do see race, we do see the forest. We're not just staring at the trees, and we see how the, uh, the different species uh, of trees within the forest interact. And that is something that's that we want to promote, and we also want to educate people. There's a, a great educational section. On our, our website where people can go, there's, there's a couple videos on there, there's some links to articles, and there's, for, for those who really want to search into it, there's a, a couple great books that are, are posted there as well that I, I think will, uh, educate people not only on the, the purpose of, of having a collective identity, but also, uh, like I was saying earlier, on a lot of those issues in which there are, People who really believe what they do, but unfortunately are uh, misleading many people because they are unaware of all this other stuff that has gone on, uh, whether it was historical or whether it has to do with uh, the differences between people, individuals, demographics. And so that's primarily our purpose. And if, if, if we can make that happen, if we can start entering the public sphere, I think that will be a huge victory. We've already begun to, uh, annex like portions of the internet. And, uh, if you look at just about any article that is discussing race, you would think that there was nothing but Amren readers commenting, uh, in the comment section. So, uh, we need to look at at our movements in uh, in a perspective of of space and and taking up space and and occupying space. And so we really have we're trying to we're trying to do a couple different things. We're trying to centralize a decentralized movement. Uh, we're trying to create a fraternity and a brotherhood for for people of European heritage who have awakened and who do see the world in a very different light and provide them with a, a nationwide network of people. If, if uh, say, we have someone in Ohio that uh, he just finishes college and, and he gets a job here in California and comes out here, he already has a, a community he can plug himself in with and a community that already knows and looks at the world the way he does. So we're, we're looking at building a fraternity, a community. We are looking at, uh, occupying space and, and, uh, in a sense, agitating. We, we want, uh, people to think, uh, about the world and, and look at it from a different perspective. We want to get, uh, the normies attention. And uh, something that was very exciting is I've already had two people email me who have joined the new organization that said that some of our activism with uh, the previous organization was what led 
them to having their own awakening. They had heard of us uh, because they went to the school that we had put flyers up at or because they had read an article about us. And so then they began researching more into uh, these issues, and now they are completely red-pilled. So this definitely serves a purpose, and it's the next natural step to take from this this kind of decentralized uh, internet-based movement uh, into the real world. So that's that's largely what we want to do. I think if we can accomplish those goals, I, I think sky's the limit because I really believe that once a significant portion of people of European heritage uh, view themselves not just simply as individuals but also part of a demographic, part of something larger and also bigger than themselves – and they begin seeing the way that uh, different peoples interact, different cultures, uh, religions. I, I think that it's it's really going to uh, – I think everything else will fall in place after that. I think the politics will will really follow and we'll be, be able to see some major policy changes after that. So we're, we're really interested in influencing the way people look at the world and, and building communities and networks and, and just taking that next natural step, that next, uh, progression, uh, in this, this movement that is usually referred to as nowadays the alt-right. Yeah, that's really well put. That's well said. So how do you relate to the identitarian movement in Europe? I've been inspired a lot primarily by Generation Identitaire. They have mastered this branding, this aesthetic. Um, they've, they've really done an amazing job with it. Now, we are in America, so it's going to be – our organization is going to be a little bit different. We can actually go a little bit farther talking about things than perhaps they can in Europe uh, because of, of the uh, – hate speech laws or whatever they have out there, which are just completely absurd. And uh, so so our organization isn't going to be exactly the same as theirs is. But as far as the way they've they've come about uh, um, advocating for uh, their interests and the interests of, of uh, people in Europe – has been uh, the most professional I've seen so far, and and in that way I'm I'm very very much inspired, and I'm also very inspired with how bold they have been, and how it's also really you can tell it is a a generational uh, issue. They've managed to attract a lot of young people, and and I see that very much happening here. So I, I am very inspired by them, and I, I'm I'm very excited to see all of this happening uh, in Europe, here in America, and and to be honest, I think uh, I, I truly believe probably the rest of the Anglosphere is is about to follow too, like Canada and Australia, and perhaps even New Zealand. So, how do you? view the Donald Trump phenomenon. Do you think he's helping us? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think, I think what, what he's doing and his presence has certainly energized, um, the alt-right. I, I think if, if for nothing more, just kind of the, the intentional LARPing that goes on, you know, a lot of people promoting him, uh, because he is this larger than life character and he is very charismatic and, uh, he just, he has this appeal 
that uh, that and and he's advocating for things uh, specifically uh, and, and explicitly. He's gone as far as to talking about building a wall and and sending back illegal immig- immigrants and banning uh, Muslim immigration. I think those uh, if. If uh, he won and those things were able to be put in effect, I think that that would be very beneficial for people of European heritage uh, here in America and around the world. Uh, he's already made a number of statements uh, to, to European leaders, and that's uh, words have effects. Words are very powerful, and I'm pretty sure the leaders of Europe aren't too happy about it. And I think that he represents uh, really the first step in in the shift that's going on. And I, I'm I'm really interested in what he's doing, but I'm also interested in what comes after him uh, as well. I think that uh, I think that this is finally like what people were talking about 20, 30, 40 years ago. It, we finally hit that point. We finally hit that breaking point. Where, where there's this colossal shift happening in our direction. And so it's been very interesting to see and, and watch what's going on. I am actually considering heading out uh, to the Republican convention just to see what happens and what goes on and maybe even uh, maybe even do some live stream of it or something. I just found an app on on my phone called Periscope and you can a lot of activists are using it nowadays. They're going to large demonstrations and videotaping and live streaming it. So I, I am actually considering going out there because there may be this brokered convention and uh, it would be very interesting to see what's happening out there. We also have a number of members who have just signed up that are out there, and it would be great, a great opportunity to uh, get a lot of our people together and just hit those crowds, because I think a lot of Trump supporters will be the most open to our views. So it would be awesome just to get out into those crowds and perhaps uh, pass out uh, promotional material and engage in the public with our ideas. I think it would be a wonderful opportunity. And I think that if there is a brokered convention, uh, this may end up being something that is, is so large it's in the history book. So it's definitely somewhere I would like to be. So, uh, I, I think his election is huge. I think it's, uh, it's having a major impact and it's really changing politics in America to a more European style politics where you, ha- where you have more of these, uh, kind of a, a right-wing populism against this this uh, left-wing socialism, as opposed to two parties that are kind of both centralist and and not really much different from each other that we have had here in the United States. Again, really well put. My first impression of you when we met in California is that you're a really high-energy, articulate, charismatic guy, and I really expect great things from you. I want to change focus change gears right now to something else. Uh, if people are looking into Nathan D'Amigo and they're Googling your name, they're going to find out about an arrest that you had in the past. And I figure, well, why not have a friendly interviewer ask you about it before an unfriendly yeah. interviewer asks you <laughs> about it, right? So can you tell us a little bit about this event? Uh, what happened what did you learn from it, and so forth? Definitely, yeah. Um, it's it's something that is is going to be uh, certainly an issue that will come up. Obviously, I am doing something. I am, I am helping 
to uh, launch an organization that is really just going head on into perhaps one of the largest taboos of, of our time and, and of our society. And oftentimes when, when you're doing that, uh, a lot of times people look for any other excuse not to listen to you and they'll, they'll try to pick apart, uh, you know, you as a person with, with these ad hominem attacks. And instead of going after ideas, they'll attack you because it's more, it, it's easier to do. And so, yeah, this is, this is a, a, a good thing that, that we can bring this up right now because I really don't, in a, in a way, it's obviously going to be something a lot of people think that, uh, especially the establishment, stuff like that, they're, they're going to want to use to try to attack uh, the organization with and at the same time I don't think they realize in many ways this this whole thing that happened is actually one of my greatest strengths this is this is really what shaped me as a person and as an individual and as I said earlier I, I spent two tours in Iraq I was in the infantry I was on the front lines in uh, Al-Ambar province and uh as a result, as many uh, individuals who are in war, uh, as what happens to them, is that uh, they end up having a lot of issues when they come back. It's very hard to uh, come back and to uh, integrate back into society. Uh, and and I, I had a lot that was going on. I lost several friends out there, and uh, and. I, I had developed uh, a drinking problem at the time, and uh, I think it was what, what had happened was perhaps about uh, it was about three or four, maybe five weeks after I got back from my second tour. I had uh, just been I'd been doing a lot of drinking. I had been on a binge, and uh, I, I came uh, across an Arab man and and kind of just lost it. I flipped out on him and. Uh, ended up taking some of his stuff and I was, was, uh, charged with armed robbery. And that is something that uh, I'm not necessarily proud of. It is, uh, something that happened and that the actions were mine regardless of my mental state at the time. And so, uh, I was offered eventually after, after going back and forth for a number of years with the district attorney, uh, essentially, we settled on on a deal for uh, I think it was about five six years, and uh, I I felt that these were my actions, and regardless of my mental state at the time, uh, these were still my actions, and I, I think that that was something that we should all uh, think about. Is that uh, you know I, I've never really cared much for this uh, victim culture that we have today, and so. Yeah, I, I really think that I, I don't want to turn this into a woe is me, I'm a victim, uh, but it's something that happened and it's something that I owned up to. And it ended up in the long run, perhaps becoming the best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, like I was saying earlier, I was always very high strung, high energy, uh, ADD <laughs> kid that was uh, usually interrupting my class when I was growing up. And for the first time in my life, uh, I, I was basically forced to, to sit and think and reflect on on the world and, and on life. And and it really it really did something to me. I, I really needed it at the time, too. Uh, I, I really needed a time out from life. 
just just because uh, so much was going on with with my my state of mind at the time. That's I, I just I, I wanted to get away from everything, and and so I spent this time. Uh, at first, it was very rough, and um, eventually, that was when I started doing a lot of reading and and researching, and and that really is what led me to where I am today, uh, intellectually, and uh, my understanding of the world, and having the education to be able to uh, discuss our issues in perhaps uh, a very appropriate way and, and an eloquent way, so to speak, uh, was m- so much of my experience uh, while I was incarcerated. And I, I think that that is something that in the long run has become uh, very beneficial to me. I, 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 I believe I spent perhaps uh, four years uh, doing nothing but reading nonfiction for about 10 hours uh, a day. So it was almost like a giant sabbatical for me. And I also was able to get my associate's degree knocked out as well. So it's something that is in my past and it's something that I'm not going to run from. Uh, I don't think anybody is perfect. Uh, certainly some people make bigger mistakes than others and things happen, but, uh, it's, it's something that I've learned from that I am a stronger person because of. And I, I think Everything that's gone on in my past uh, has really just been building up to this, to what I'm doing right now, because it really takes uh, it really takes a strong person to do this. And so much of what I've been through, whether it was Iraq, whether it was uh, being incarcerated for a few years. I mean, the things I'm doing now are, <laughs> uh, you know, would usually scare most people. And and so so much of what I've been through has made what I'm doing now just just seem like uh, nothing. It's it's kind of it, a lot of what happens just kind of makes me laugh. It's not that big a deal. Uh, so I feel it in in a large part that it is a major strength and it is something that I will have to address uh, perhaps continually. I, I hope not forever. I don't want it to distract from our message. But I, I really feel that uh, there is a need to make this push and this next progression. And uh, I think that I have been blessed with uh, a, a number of different skills and talents that uh, really are, are what's going to help make this thing happen. That's really well said. So you spent about four years in jail? I, it kind of it kind of ended up uh, being five altogether. I got out on, on good time. Wow. <laughs> this is ironic. I mean, the, the, the prison officials would certainly not say that you're a success story because you uh, you went into prison and you came out a convinced racialist and uh, activist. You want to change the world. So another success story for our penitentiary system. But <laughs> well, no, honestly, honestly yeah. it is sort of an ex- uh, a success story because, uh, you know, a lot of people go in these places and they come out worse people rather yeah. than better ones. And, you know, the, the thing about life is this. The quality of a person is not determined by whether or not they you know, color within the lines all the time and don't make any mistakes and don't make any bad decisions and things like that, because there are very few people like that. And people who do make all the right decisions and don't uh, have any misfortunes and things like that, well, they've never been tested either. And so it's it's far more impressive 
to see a person who makes mistakes or suffers misfortunes and overcomes them. I mean, that's a real test of character. It's a real testament to character. So in my interactions with you, I, I sort of found you to be a really trustworthy, honorable guy who keeps his promises. You said you had a drinking problem. Are you mm-hmm. sober now? Do you not uh, partake? Uh, here and there, but, uh, that's, yeah, that's for the most part, it's, it's under control. I, I haven't, uh, had any issues with it or anything since then. I think there were just at the time a lot of demons that, uh, that I was facing and it was more just to, uh, get away and escape that instead of face that. And, and it, there's one thing, if anything, time heals, uh, quite a bit. And I, I think that just having a, a lot of, separation between then and now there was a lot of anger uh back then that i had i i felt betrayed in many ways uh by by the government by the people i trusted uh you know i was uh, lost a lot of friends and and was also having uh you know some some anxiety issues at at the time and so uh you know i i think that's so much has changed now that uh, no, that's that's not really an issue. Right. So your problem wasn't alcoholism. Your problem no. was post-traumatic stress and all these yes. these issues. And those issues of basically those are those are in the rearview mirror, I guess. So that's that's good. They're to know. they're there, but they're just you know they they never go away, but they're they're there, and and you learn how to deal with them. So, Nathan, this has been a really, really good heart-to-heart, and I'm looking forward to great things from you. I'm looking forward to more from, a gener- um, I'm sorry, Identity <laughs> Europa. And uh, I'd, I'd love to end this by having you plug the organization a bit, make sure that people know your URLs and how to get into contact with you if they'd like to explore your group and maybe join and contribute to it. Definitely. Well, anyone who would like to become a part of our organization can send in an application on our website. The URL is identityeuropa.com. You can spell it with a a V or a U. I know many of you guys have have seen the the way we spell it for the logo is with a V, but either way, whether you spell it with a V or a U uh, for Europa, you're going to get to our website. We have both the URLs, so you should be able to find it pretty easily. Uh, on on Twitter, we're Identity Evropa with a V, and uh, you can find us there, and you can also find me on Twitter. Send me a message. Uh, my direct messages are open, so you can always send me a DM if you have any questions. Uh, Nathan Demigo, D-A-M-I-G-O. And I'm really excited about this. I think uh, this is this is really going to be that uh, that next step towards uh, mainstreaming our ideas and and just bringing about a a complete cultural and and even spiritual revolution for our people. Well, thank you very much. I hope this is just the first of many conversations. I'm sure you'll be back. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you.